You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, you are the Prince of Peace. Would your reign of peace cover over that place that is so often in turmoil? Our prayer is that peace would rule in the hearts, in the homes, in the systems that govern that place. Not just an absence of conflict, but a presence of your shalom, of your goodness, of your justice for that place and for all places. It is our heart, Lord, to see such a thing. Help us to pray for it. Help us to work towards it. Help us to shine light towards it. Uh, in our places and in those places. We say these things in Jesus' name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Thank you for praying with me. Again, I've been asked multiple times, and it's something that we've been meaning to do, and I appreciate you doing that with me. Just taking some time to be quiet together. I'm going to say welcome. Thank you. They're going to turn back on the lights. Uh, Thank you for being here this Sunday morning. Finally going to be in the 60s for a minute. I'm so excited. This is the best. I'm glad to be with you all. If this is your first or second time with us, we extend a special thank you for being here this morning. For the rest of you, also thanks for being with us. Uh, If you picked up a bulletin, this is what's in it. It lets you know what's going on in the life of the church, ways to take notes, ways to contact us if you need. There's a blue card, which is uh, just lets us know who's here. And if you've been here a million times or this is your first time, we would love for you to take a moment to fill that out. On the back is a place for prayer requests. If you would love for us to be praying for you specifically, I'd be happy to do that for you. Uh, The team would do that as well. A way to give financially to the mission here in Thermalito, but please feel no pressure or obligation to do that. That is something that we do as a spiritual discipline. Any of that stuff you want to return back to us, please don't keep our clipboards. Uh, You can do so. You can have them if you want them. I don't care. At the end of this wall, there's a basket. We don't pass plates here. We let you and the Holy Spirit work it out. Basket at the end there. It can all be done online as well. Miranda is a, a part of a Native American tribe. They're having gatherings today for governmental reasons, to, you know, to figure out how to run their tribe for the next year. But she is going to be back tonight. So there is youth group tonight if you'd like to be a part of that. That is 7th through 12th grade, 4 o'clock tonight. Uh, our friend Charlotte uh, is, says that boxes are due next Sunday if you're doing Operation Christmas Child Boxes. She says full or empty, she wants them back. She will fill them for you if you don't fill them yourself. Um, Yes. There is movie night this Friday night. If you want to come sit around the fire with a few of us, we just sit and talk for a couple hours. Some people like to watch the movie. That's 6.30 this Friday night. I'm choosing Paw Patrol. That's the latest movie that came out. Uh, We're watching Paw Patrol. It's actually got some pretty good ratings. So if you want to watch Paw Patrol, come on out. There's like zero kids in here. If you adults want to watch Paw Patrol... (laughs) 
come on out. If you want to sit by the fire and make some s'mores with us, it should finally be cold enough to maybe enjoy a little bit of a fire. Should be good. Friendsgiving is coming up. We get together uh, during the Thanksgiving season and we eat. If you'd like to be a part of that, please put it on your calendar, 4.30 on the 19th of this month. That'll be a Sunday night. You'll have lots of time to remember. Please, if you would like to bring a dish to share, but we usually cover the mains, get things going. And lastly, first Sunday in December, which is the third, I was wrong last week, is our all-church meeting. Mark your calendars. We just come and talk about what we've done talk about what the Lord has done and what we think the Lord is going to do for the coming year. And I'll give you updates on building. As you've seen, the last three weeks have been really full. Today, everyone's sick. I know everyone's a lot of sickness and illness and people at home, but uh, I'll give you updates on all that stuff. As we hear uh, God's word together, would you pray with me one more time? Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. May your word speak to us in a way that is life-giving, that is soul-filling, that is spirit-encouraging. We will give you praise and thanks and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a short video that just gives us an intro into what this new sermon series is about. Take a peek. Divine Disruptions. Disruptions. We're talking about divine disruptions. Divine disruptions. What do we do? This is a season that has a lot of busyness, a lot of family coming over, a lot of grocery store trips and shopping trips and just being out and about. I pray that that is not your experience, that it is busy, but it just happens to be the case. And I like to kind of match the season to the sermon series so that we can be thinking about God's word in the midst of our normal rhythms and cycles of life. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to text. It's just a text, and uh, we'll do our best to answer those at the end. If I don't have time, I'll get to them in the week. But this is really what the season, this series is about. We're in a busy season. Lots of disruptions. How does Jesus handle disruptions? How does Jesus handle them? And does that give us a helpful handle on how to deal with our own disruptions? Let's read a story. Let's read some gospel together. If you have scriptures, turn them to Mark 2. If you want to use the scripture in the back of the seat, it's on page 762. I have been told that the text is kind of small in these Bibles. My apologies. My apologies. My apologies. Whatever it is, that's what we're doing. 
Mark chapter 2, Jesus is preaching a sermon, preaching a sermon, and he's interrupted. 2, 1 through 12, if you don't have uh, a scripture in front of you, it will be on the screen. Jesus is getting, he is preaching in a house, and it is full. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, after a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and people heard that he was at a home. So many gathered that there was no longer space, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Ha logoi, the word. He was preaching the gospel. Jesus is preaching the gospel in a house. Like many Christians gathered throughout the ages in a house. Jesus is there in a house preaching the gospel to them, and it is packed. Some people arrived, and four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. They couldn't carry him through the crowd, so they tore off part of the roof above where Jesus was. The Greek literally says they unroofed the roof. Roofs were mud and hay mixed together. It would have been pretty easy for them to do. They tore a hole through that roof, it says, and when they had made an opening... They lowered their paralyzed friend on his mat on which the man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic man, Child, your sins are forgiven. The religious elite there, the legal experts were sitting there and they started muttering to themselves. Jesus performs his first miracle here. He says, why do you speak that way? Oh, no, they said that. My apologies. Jesus is getting ready to do a miracle. They said to themselves, the religious elite, why does he speak this way? He's insulting God. Only the one God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately. Mark's favorite word in the whole world is immediately. Jesus immediately recognized what they were discussing, and he said to them, why do you fill your minds with these questions? It's the word minds is heart there. Why do you fill your heart with these questions? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed person, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your bed and walk? But so that you will know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, get up! Take your bat and go home. Jesus raised him up. Same word, resurrection. Jesus raised him up and right away, immediately, Mark's favorite word, he picked up his mat and walked out in front of everyone. They were all amazed. They all praised God. And they all said, we've never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord for the people of God for two day. As always, I like to preach three points, something to know, feel, do. What does God want us to know, feel, do, so that we can get the information, turn it into transformation, turn it into action, so that we have a holistic faith. Three points, those are the questions I ask. What does God want us to know? And in this passage, and in this theme, what the scriptures want us to know is that for Jesus to speak is to act. To speak is to act. This is how easy it is for him to both heal and forgive. 
Scriptures want us to know that Jesus is as good as his word. We have a bunch of phrases like this, right? That Jesus not only talks the talk, but he walks the walk. He puts his money where his mouth is, even though he doesn't have any money. One time they came and asked him, they said, whose image is on a coin? And Jesus says, I, I don't know, show me, give me one of your coins. He doesn't even have one, right? He doesn't have, but you know what I'm saying. He puts his money where his mouth is. He walks the walk. Listen, listen, listen. He says, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, take up your bed and walk? Ask him a question. And this question boils down the entire story. This is what Jesus wants us to know, to get across. Why is this important? For the religious elite, only God can forgive. They said that. Only the one God can forgive. And so their question is, is Jesus just throwing out empty words? Or is he actually able to forgive? Or is he blasphemous? Is he just saying whatever he wants and he doesn't actually represent God at all. And Jesus boils all of that conflict down to that question. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Here's a little helpful for me diagram. What's easier to do? I know he said say, but let's just do do for a second. What's easier to do? To heal somebody or to forgive someone? In the religious elite mind, it's easier to heal somebody. In their mind, it was easier to heal somebody because only God could forgive sins. And so since only God could forgive sins, the easier thing to do was to heal. Jesus asks, what is easier to say? What's easier to say? You're healed or you're forgiven? You're forgiven is easier to say. And this is the crux of the question. Is Jesus just throwing out empty words or is the real divine power behind there when it comes to healing and forgiveness. Jesus does both. He heals and he forgives so that you may know the Son of God has the power, he says. He does both because both are as easy as saying a word for him. That's the point of this story. It's as easy for Jesus to forgive you and heal you as it is just for him to say a word. Because we know in the beginning of our Bibles, when God creates the whole cosmos, he does so with one word. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so the boiling this story down, Jesus' question summarizing the whole conflict, what is easier to say? For God, his words have power. Do not doubt Jesus' ability to forgive. It's as easy for him to do it as it is to just say the word. And we know that's true because what does the man do, the paralyzed man? Jesus commands him, get up. Maybe the only command a paralyzed man can't do, right? He can love. He can be kind, right? He can love his enemies as himself. But a paralyzed man can't obey the command to get up unless there's power to Jesus' word. And so it says, Jesus said, get up. Jesus raised him up. The man picks up his mat and walks out in front of everyone. Jesus' word is so powerful that when he commands a man that can do something that is impossible, the man gets up and does the impossible. 
What is easier to say for Jesus? It's all easy to say. Jesus commands, he obeys. What God wants us to know in this passage is that Jesus is true to his word. His word is powerful. And if he forgives you, you are forgiven. These religious elite are so close that like only God can forgive. It's like, yeah, God's standing in your midst right now. You missed it because of your theological system. So Jesus tries to show them by commanding the impossible to this man. And the point of this story is that Jesus is true. He's power. His word has power. He's true to his word. It reminds me of this story. This guy's name, and forgive, listen, not all of us are going to be Olympic weightlifters, okay? That's not the point of this story. But this man's name is Matthew Steiner, and I think I like it because he's like, was the strongest man in the world, and he looks a little bit like me. Do you see it? <laughs> From the neck up. That's all I post. That's the only picture I posted. That's why I posted that picture. He was a weightlifter. That was his wife. She saw him lifting weights on TV, and she called the news station and said, I need that man's phone number. I want to marry that man. This is in Germany, by the way. He's Austrian. They meet. They fall in love, so much in love, that he leaves Austria and becomes a citizen of Germany and then competes on Germany's behalf in weightlifting. And, yeah, they got married. Lovely story. And then, and then she dies in a car accident in 2007. And before she passed, remember I told you he was shifting his citizenship over. He had promised that he was going to keep weightlifting. He said he was going to make the Olympic team. And he even promised her a medal. And then she passed and he had a real dilemma. Does he keep doing this thing that he has no desire to do anymore? The love of his life has just been taken from him. Or does he keep weightlifting? And he decides to keep weightlifting. And he says he needs to try to at least attempt to fulfill the promise he made to his wife to make the Olympic team and to bring home a medal. He makes the Olympic team, and he does not do well. This is him dropping it on his neck. Um, and, then, and then at a second attempt, he drops it behind himself. He lets it go. And on his third attempt, uh, his coaches say, hey, you're the last guy to go. No one else after you. We know exactly how much you need to lift to win this whole thing. He's like in fourth place. And he's like, I've never lifted that much before. It's like 558 pounds, just in case you want to know how much it is. And they're like, well, you only got one shot. This is your last shot. You want to do it? Here's a video of him attempting it. Oh, I lied. I'm so sorry. I got to give you one more. The, the, the. Favorite of the competition was the Russian man. He lifted 550 pounds. And so this guy needed to lift 558 to take it all home. Here it is, the video I promised you. Looks just like me.
He's got to go over his head. Is he going to do it? I did not add that. That's it. I just love that he had his wife on the podium with him. I love that he looks like me. I love everything about this story. I love everything about this story. Uh, again, my, my point isn't to try to get you to promise people that you're going to win Olympic gold medals. My point is, is that he was faithful to his word to at least try. And it was important to him to do that. I love that he brought his wife on the podium with him. It just is such a feel-good story. But I just want to illustrate the idea of power connected to promise in the midst of all that. Because that's what this story boils down to, is that Jesus has the power to back up his promise, it is as easy for him as a word. Not only can Jesus forgive, he does so. Easily, willingly, and readily. A man of his word, we do not have to be worried about interrupting him for this kind of stuff. He loves to do it. He does it very easily. What does God want us to feel? What is the experience out of this story? It's all boiled around forgiveness. And so it's this for us, that forgiveness is the first order mission. And I really do see mission is, is important to this story of what Jesus is doing, and we'll get into that more in the third point. But forgiveness isn't an interruption because it is part of the mission of Christ. And he tells us this, so that you will know that I, the Son of Man, the human one, have the, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He heals the man. This is part of his mission as the human one, as the Son of Man, as God's representative on earth. Part of his mission is to forgive. That's important because I think disruption and interruption believes two things. When we feel interrupted or disrupted, I think it's because we believe two things, that we have an important goal and that whatever our goal is is more important than the thing that's interrupting or disrupting us. And so Jesus gets interrupted, literally preaching a sermon and someone digs a hole in the roof and lowers a man on the mat right in front of everybody. It is a disruption to his sermon, but it's not a disruption to his mission. Forgiveness and suffering are not more important than what Jesus came to do. They are the things that he came to do. He shows us that our suffering and our need for forgiveness are wildly important and that we have freedom to interrupt and disrupt to talk to him about these things, the things that cause us suffering, the things that cause us guilt. It reminds me of another video I saw Someone important, the Pope, was talking to lots and lots of people, and a kid who did not have the ability to speak, who was mute, ran up on stage and interrupted the Pope. And I just love the way that the Pope handled this. 
Watch this one minute video to illustrate our point. First of all, the Swiss Guard is just cool looking. I don't blame that kid at all for going over to him. They look like clowns with violent clowns. The Pope says, let him play. Don't worry about it. The kid does keep playing. <laughs> Es libre, indisciplinadamente libre. <risa> y me hizo pensar a mí, ¿yo soy también libre así delante de Dios? Cuando Jesús dice que tenemos que hacernos como niños, nos dice que tenemos que tener la libertad que tiene un niño delante de su padre. Yo creo que nos predicó a todos este chico y pidamos la gracia de que pueda hablar. I mean, look at the Pope preaching to all those people. A child comes and he says, this child embodies what Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And is an example to the Pope about how free we can be before the Lord. Jesus wants you to know that forgiveness, acknowledging our suffering, is not an unwelcome interruption to him. That he desires to pay attention to it, to speak life into it to offer us freedom from our guilt. And it just made me think, I don't know, I think there's two types of people. There's probably more types of people than that. But for today's sake, I think it's helpful. I think some of us walk around ignoring all the guilt that we have, all the sin that we have, all the bad stuff that we do. I see it on social media all the time. People are like, you're such a good parent. I don't know, probably not a good parent. Some of us don't see, you know what I mean? Like, we just tell everyone that they're so good all the time and they don't have anything to worry about and just keep doing what they're doing. And, and people just walk around ignoring all the stuff in their life, never self-reflective, never trying to move forward and progress in their maturity. And then there's another group of people that walk around just racked with guilt just dwelling on it. They feel guilty about everything. And Jesus, I think, wants to speak into both of those. That the solution to both of those is an acknowledgement of actual guilt that we feel, things we've done wrong, sins we've committed, and then Jesus, the solution is forgiveness. It's not ignoring it. It's not dwelling on it. It's accepting it. And that goes back to the first point, that Jesus has the power to forgive. And when Jesus speaks and offers forgiveness to you, you can walk in that reality, free from the guilt that incurred because of the things that you've done in life. Jesus wants you to know and feel forgiveness. This is a huge part of his plan, his mission. 
The solution to both of those is that we acknowledge and admit and accept the forgiveness that Jesus has for us. Not to ignore all the bad stuff we did, not to dwell on all the bad stuff we did, to focus on the forgiveness that Jesus has for us. What does Jesus want us to do? What then is this passage encouraging us to do when it comes to disruptions? For me, this is the point I'm taking away. Learn to discern between in-mission and anti-mission disruptions. There's two different disruptions that happen here. And Jesus discerns between them. Look, when the people came through the roof, he saw their faith and he calls them child and he offers them forgiveness and healing. But the legal experts start muttering in their hearts against him. Jesus feels both of those disruptions, senses both of them. He praises the ones who burrow through the roof, and he gets into conflict with the ones that want to try to stifle what Jesus is doing. This isn't a series about Jesus is super sugary sweet to everyone, and you should also be that too. Because he's not super sugary sweet to every single person he comes into contact with. That Jesus discerned between the different types of disruptions. That's what I want you to do, is to learn to discern between different types of disruptions. Jesus gave different energy to different disruptions. To those who are suffering and to the outcast and to those who need forgiveness, he sees them, he helps them, he encourages them, he's gracious to them, he heals them. To snooty religious people, he gets into conflict with them. Why? Because he wants to protect the people and he wants to proclaim the mission. This disruption was trying to detract from his purpose. And Jesus says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm going to protect my people and I'm going to proclaim the mission. Right? I'm going to love God and love people and I'm not going to let these disruptions get the same kind of energy that those ones did. And so I'm asking you to learn to discern because there's some people that just need your help and there's some people that are just trying to get you off track. And Jesus says, learn to discern. You don't have to give the same energy to everyone in your life. I got a magazine from Costco. I love magazines from Costco. I get them regularly. Coupons. And this one's connections. My wife threw this one away immediately. We didn't even open it because it said, entertain everyone. And she was like, that's too many people. (laughs) And she threw it in the trash. Just out of sheer offense. I know Costco has all the stuff I need to entertain literally everyone. I know they want me to buy all the stuff I would need to entertain everyone. But I ain't entertaining everyone. I got to learn to discern who my people are and what I'm about. And that's what I think one of the takeaways in this story is from Jesus. There is a difference between on-purpose and anti-purpose interruptions. And some things for Jesus, like forgiveness and healing and suffering and outcasts, those are on-purpose interruptions. Those are things that are part of the mission and purpose Jesus has in the world. And there are some things that are working against him and some things that are working against us. And Jesus does not give them the same energy. He names them. He gets into conflict with them. 
And he proclaims again to the people there and to the anti-mission disruptors his plans, his purpose, his identity in the world. Jesus wants you to, to learn to discern the difference. Not, this isn't, a, again, a sermon to be sugary sweet to everyone, but to figure out what interruptions are worth your time based on your identity and purpose. Questions? comments, criticisms of this sermon, feel free to send them. I'm happy to take criticisms as well. You're not laughing. Some of you are typing criticisms right now. I appreciate it. One question, is there a limit to God's forgiveness? It's a great question. And in one sense, no. Jesus even encourages us to forgive 77 times 7 times. Jesus always wants us to err on the side of forgiveness, but also scripture lets us know that God's love isn't conditional, but God's forgiveness is conditional. And God wants you to know that the amount that you forgive is going to have some effect on the amount that you are forgiven. He says that multiple times. He asks us to pray that in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. I don't want those connected. I want unlimited forgiveness, and that is available to us. But Jesus wants us to connect his forgiveness to us being forgiving people too, because forgiving, forgive, forgiven people forgive people in Jesus' mind and mindset. Great question. So it's complicated. Sorry, no more questions. Yes, Esther, just kidding. No, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, great question. I my apologies. I didn't let you finish, but I know where you're going. Keep going. Yeah. I wish I had a big whiteboard right now, but I don't. I, I'm assuming your question has to do with something about disease and sin, the connection of those. Yeah, because Jesus connects here healing and forgiveness. How do we make sense of this? Coffee's done. How do we make sense of this? Uh, Jesus' forgiveness and uh, healing. There will be two things that I'd like to say as, as best as I can. So first of all, if you go to a passage like John chapter 9, the disciples straight up asked Jesus this question. There was a man blind, and the disciples say, Jesus who sinned that this man would be born blind? Did he sin somehow and cause his own blindness? Or did his parents sin and cause his blindness? And Jesus said, neither of those. That's not how this works. So Jesus, in a more explicit teaching, says that uh, your sin does not cause your sickness. Um, but here we have a concept of forgiveness and healing tied together. How do I make sense of that? You don't have to agree with me, but here's the two ways that I make sense of that. First of all, the people believed this. The people believed that their illnesses were connected to their sinfulness. There was a famous proverb that says, no one will rise from their sickbed until all their sins are forgiven. So sometimes I think Jesus is using the language of the people that makes sense to them. And because Jesus had a point to make about his ability to forgive sins and who he was. So, I don't think the man sinned and that caused his paralysis. And I don't think Jesus thinks that either. But 
in a broader sense, and we're going long, everybody, so I'm going to wrap it up after this. My apologies. Christians and Jews believe that sickness and illness and death entered the world through the fall, through Adam and Eve's disobedience. And so in some sense, all illness and disease and sickness is caused by disobedience, but not, I wouldn't say, there's not a connection to a person's individual illness. Just, so there is healing and forgiveness that needs to happen. I don't think that man caused his own paralysis because of sin. I'm having other hands, even though I said. How about Yeah, a lot of people think that. that's, a, that's an excellent insight. People say that. That the real true need was forgiveness. And so Jesus speaks to our true need in the midst of that. Absolutely could be. Absolutely could be. So he's either speaking and using the language of the people. He's either speaking to a deeper need or he's speaking about this broader thing that's going on with humanity, about our fall and, our, and, and the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Ultimately, I think the main point of the story is to point to who Jesus is, his identity and his mission, that he is the son of man who is able to speak forgiveness. And even though God is the only one able to forgive, he's revealing to them slowly that he is God in their midst. And so he could do both with a word, heal and forgive. His words are that powerful. Great questions, everybody. Here's my conclusion. We're moving on. With a word, Jesus forgives. He knows his mission and purpose, and he prioritizes the interruptions that are within his mission and purpose, and that's your encouragement too. Who are you? What's your identity? What's your purpose? That'll help you discern. Because Jesus welcomes the interruptions that that offer forgiveness, that relieve guilt, that are a part of his mission and purpose. He prioritizes people and healing and forgiveness that are within his mission. And like Jesus, you're encouraged to discern between on mission and in mission and anti-mission disruptions. This isn't a call to be sugary sweet to everyone all the time, but to have a real discernment about what disruptions are fruitful and which ones are distracting from who you are and what you're called to do. And with that, let's pray as we head into a time of communion. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this story. Thank you for your forgiveness. It is not an elaborate ritual. It is not us begging and pleading. It is a welcome interruption that you encourage. It is not hard for you. It does not require us to go to a temple and sacrifice animals. It does not require us to take our best fruit, our best crops, our best cattle, and burn it before you to receive some kind of absolution a sense of forgiveness, of acceptance, of reconciliation, of oneness. No, Lord, you show us that you can forgive with a word. And you offer us and encourage us to come before you and receive it so that we do not walk around racked by guilt, so that we are not people who are full of guilt and shame, but that we walk in you because we know that in you there is no condemnation for those of us who are in you and who have received the forgiveness that you so freely give. Lord, encourage us by your Holy Spirit to interrupt you regularly with our need for forgiveness. Lord, take away our guilt and our shame. 
Lord, help us to walk boldly and confidently within you. And may this time of communion be exactly that, a remembrance of your death and resurrection on the cross and from the tomb, a remembering that you paid the ultimate price so that we could be people free from sin and shame and guilt, walking in your forgiveness. We give you praise and thanks for your goodness. Help us to come with obedient, expectant, anticipatory hearts to meet you, to receive you, and to walk in you through this bread and this cup. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.